The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician. And she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, here's your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. Successful organizations do not depend on highly disruptive reorganizations every 30 years or so in order to survive. Nope. Rather, the survivors use metrics of performance to continuously improve. They got to get better every year in order to, to thrive. So no organization can thrive, whether it's public or private, without the support of its customers. That's you and me, the end user. And that's no different if we're consumers buying a product, rate payers using a utility, taxpayers who expect something back from our government, or even as voters. But that last one is something we're going to talk about on a different evening. Consumer satisfaction is thus the most important metric most organizations use to track whether or not they are continuously improving their performance. You're listening to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. I'm a businesswoman, not a politician. I don't make problems, I try to solve them. Customer satisfaction has become such an important area of focus over the last two decades. The customer experience officer in the private sector is now second only to the CEO on a corporate hierarchy. So if we take a second and we set aside all the current brouhaha about politicization of the vote, of vote by mail in the midst of a global pandemic and reports of life-threatening delays in delivery of vital medications through the mail, et cetera. If we set all that aside for just a second. Postmaster General Louis DeJoy in a Congressional Oversight Committee hearing yesterday could not answer Representative Katie Porter's basic questions about the cost of a U.S. mail postcard or a U.S. first class stamp. He didn't know. He said, I don't know in answer to her question. Well, if you don't know what the cost of stamps or postcards are, and you're the postmaster general of the United States, and those are your most basic products, I kind of think that maybe publicly and basically, you're unqualified for the position you hold. I mean, he didn't know the pricing of his most basic products and how the public reacted, the customer response, to a 2020 rate increase, price increase for stamps. Stamps now cost 55 cents, 35 cents for that postcard. Yep, really, truly, he didn't know those basics of the mail system. So 
I'm surprised that he didn't just return to his office, clean out his desk, and drop his resignation letter at the front desk on the way out of the building, because that does seem to me to be the appropriate level. Is there a more basic customer experience for every American than buying a first-class stamp to mail a birthday card or a postcard to mail home from family vacation or your first sleepaway camping experience? Don't you remember that? And you'd remember how much the stamp cost if your kids went off this year. I would be the last person to assert that the post office, at least in this area, is customer focused or that its personnel are uniformly friendly and helpful. But on the, on the other side of that coin, I would not suggest abandoning it either. Nope. I would look for what parts of the post office work and try to identify the parts that don't work. I'd examine customer attitudes in detail and then come up with a plan, a plan that focuses on delighting customers at the very lowest possible cost. Where I come from, we call that an operationally efficient organization. It's very efficient, but customers are happy. You can't have one without the other. Now, if you get to operational efficiency, you have probably also eliminated or fixed what doesn't work, unless what doesn't work has some regulatory component. And then you try to change the regulation. But I, we're dithering. Okay, Congress has declared the number one priority of the post office is to maintain its commitment to deliver the mail to touch every single address in the United States of America at least six times a week. That's the bedrock of American communication from community to community since before the Revolutionary War. And it's this one unique advantage over its private competitors in the parcel area that the post office has used as first class mail has declined, but not disappeared. Okay, in order to improve its financial position. Okay, because the mail, the postal service is less expensive for Federal Express or UPS or Amazon to use on a contract basis. Okay, so those organizations contract with the post office to deliver parcels to what we call the last mile to that last place everywhere in America. Now, it wouldn't be economical for FedEx or UPS or even Amazon to go to every mountaintop, every desert, every remote North Dakota wheat farm, every Alaskan fishing village. But the post office does because that's their mandate. And so it has become the lifeline for the post office to be the parcel delivery last mile service for FedEx and UPS and Amazon, et cetera. It's cheaper for those private carriers to contract with the post office than to try to compete with them. Now, I'm not an expert on mail sorting 
but I am an expert on improving the customer's experience. So I have some ideas that could make the post office more efficient and effective. While still guaranteeing that the mail will get where it is going on time, including both your medication and your ballot. So the suggestions that I'm gonna outline briefly in the rest of this podcast really involve what we call the two C's of logistics, capacity and convenience. Okay, capacity is the relationship between people and machines. You know, how much can we get done if we maximize both of those? We're told that the post office, like other businesses, has seen higher absenteeism rates due to COVID-19, and that this has had some impact on many of the sorting facilities. Well, higher absenteeism due to COVID-19 does not in any way explain ripping out and junking sorting machines that can sort 30,000 pieces of mail an hour. And so if you've got fewer people, you need more machines. But also it does take people to finally route the mail so that it gets loaded into, you have somebody actually has to do the loading, you know, sort which boxes go to which truck and load them into the eight, waiting 18 wheelers that will carry the mail to their destination overnight, whether it's another sorting facility or some other um, way station. So the choices to get maximization of the mail service is to pay overtime to the remaining workers so that they get all the mail ready for transport. Or you can leave the mail behind and send out the truck so that it will get to the next sorting station on time, but it's without the mail. So your, and DeJoy's choice has been on-time transit. In other words, the truck leaves on time rather than prioritizing delivery of the mail. From either a customer or a logistics point of view, to me, that's really a head scratcher. Because you see empty trucks rolling down the highways and byways of America don't make money for anybody. They are, in fact, a cost center, not a profit center. And people, your customers, are dissatisfied. I could use other words. I thought just thought of some other words, but I'd have to bleep them. People are dissatisfied when their mail does not arrive on time. So I think that's kind of a gloss over on capacity because from my point of view, there's even more, that's so obvious, it doesn't need to be belabored, but also there's more to be gained by improving convenience. And here, those of you who've been listening to me pontificate about the post office for a couple of years now, you know what? The current crisis has modified my thinking. You know, I stop by my mailbox once a week, and I usually just, there isn't the active recycling bin right there, and I usually just throw away most of what I find in the box. 
there might be a magazine or an occasional greeting card or similar um, type of thing and <clears throat> and a charitable request that I, for an organization that I contribute to. But the rest of it pretty much goes into the recycling bin right there. It never moves beyond the mailbox. And so that's my urban view of the mail. So sometimes I forget that when I was growing up in Petaluma and in Napa, they were small towns. Um, they weren't exactly rural America, but there wasn't a bridge across the eastern end of San Francisco Bay at that point. It was just a ferry. And so a trip to San Francisco was an adventure, not a daily commute as some do now. But I digress. Today in urban and suburban America, <clears throat> our access to life's necessities and its luxuries is almost instantaneous. We don't really need six day a week mail delivery to every urban and suburban mailbox. Except, except on those occasions when we procrastinate with the Christmas packages. Then express mail is a great deal. And yeah, you want it to get there on Sunday, on Christmas Eve. <clears throat> In rural America, on the other hand, it does seem that six day a week mail delivery is still a lifeline. So maybe it's time to consider modifying mail delivery to the mailbox so that different circumstances are treated differently. And maybe we even need for the post office to involve customers in making that choice. Maybe we need some surveys to say, you know, would you really care if you live in a major urban area if you get junk mail on Saturday or if they hold it until Monday, if it doesn't come till Monday, which would just mean that the junk mailers would alter their schedules a little bit. Um, I got a feeling most people would be willing to make that trade-off if it got them better service and cheaper pricing in other areas. And another idea that I've had for a long time is that there's a lot of real estate involved in the postal system. You know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt built a whole lot of post offices in a whole lot of little towns across America as part of the work projects administration during the Great Depression. Well, today, a lot of those post offices in those little towns are manned or womaned by one person. So I've long advocated moving those mail services to another business in the community, you know, a contract postal station, and then selling or leasing the underutilized post offices for another purpose, with the proceeds of that sale or lease going to fill the forward-looking USPS pension obligations and making Congress less crazy about those. Or should I say, obsessed about those. But maybe there are circumstances where just the opposite would be the right answer. You might want to think in some small towns about inviting another business into the post office building and using some of the excess square footage for another business that would pay a lease. So again, customer feedback and customer convenience should be important considerations. 
is the post office rarely open and used? Or is that post office still the central gathering point in the community? Those would be decision points for how you would multi-use post offices in rural America. For urbanites who view a trip to the post office as a necessary evil, unless of course you're applying for your first passport for your first European vacation, then it can be a little bit exciting to visit your post office if you have all your paperwork in order. Well, for people like me who don't get animated about going to the post office and standing in line, why don't we move some of the automated or extend the use of automated postal stations out of just post office lobbies and let's say into grocery stores. You know, it would be at your Safeway right next to the lotto machines. And then you could also put a blue postal collection box right next to the postal station. Well, I mean, on a capacity, on a logistics point of view, it means fewer, more hours of operation, greater convenience for the customer, fewer postal employees required, you don't have a bunch of people standing behind the counter, and the customer, you and me, I mean, whenever you're at the grocery store buying your groceries, you could do whatever it is that you need to do at the mail. And then you could have your postal box right collection box right next to it. So, um, for example, let's say that you put in um, your money in the lotto machine thing and you get a ticket that's worth $500. Well, you have to sign it and send it into the lottery people to get your money. So you would say, oh, I won. Go to your little postal station uh, get your envelope, address it, because you want to send it certified to make sure it got there. And then just go right next to it and stick it in the postal collection box and voila, at some point um, after the lottery people have processed it, you would get your check back at your own mailbox for your $500 that you won. Wouldn't that be more convenient? And much as I hate the Amazon hub in our complex, because I have to trek about a half a mile to get my packages. And yesterday they were heavy. You know, because they're all delivered to that hub, regardless of who originated the shipment and who carried them across the country, they're all delivered that last mile by <clears throat> USPS by the Postal Service unless Amazon is dropping in the box directly. So I complain about the hub, but I recognize that the convenience and the reduced cost to the shipper are in fact saving me money. And well, if I'm totally honest, I need the steps anyway. I'm sure there are a million other ways that the Postal Service could delight us. Although they're pretty popular already. They have about an 80% approval rating. And, you know, when it comes to government, that's really a home run. Or anything associated with the government, that's really a home run. But we'd be thrilled if they could do 
that same job or a slightly better job at a lower cost, which means with more efficiency. But let's not forget the underlying purpose of the post office remains the same as when it was written into the United States Constitution, that Congress has to establish a postal system to inflow to enhance the flow of communication and information between and among citizens, not to impede it. While some may argue that privatizing the post office would improve its performance, it is clear from the current controversies that one of the things that the average American has come to appreciate about the post office is congressional oversight. And people believe that it should be continually improved as a public trust, not a political football. Thanks for listening to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. You can learn more at reimagineamerica.org. Got a comment or an idea for a future show? Email Joyce at reimagineamerica.org or find her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy or at Reimagine Radio. Take a minute now and go to reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum. We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you love the podcast, donate and tell others. You can invite Joyce to speak at your next meeting or conference through reimagineamerica.org. And finally, Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast at ricochet.com or c-sweetnetwork.com. That's c-sweetnetwork.com. Together, we really can reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-sweetradio.com.